Hello everyone and welcome to the Greenwood and Mulliner show on Newcastle Fans TV podcast. This is episode two with some exclusive content for you now. Uh, earlier this year we spoke to Steve Harmison. We spoke to him the day after uh, Newcastle beat Sheffield United 3-0, the first game back after the restart. Um, we had some technical issues during the recording and I say we, it won't surprise you that it was Johnny that uh, had the technical difficulties. He's currently at work at the moment, so he can't defend himself. Um, But this is the only place now where you can hear the full unedited version of the fantastic interview we did with England cricket legend Steve Harmison. Some real good bits in here about um, his uh, cricket career, his opinions on Newcastle, early memories of Sir Bobby, yeah, it's um, it's one of our favourites. So we hope you enjoy it. And Hello everyone, welcome back to the second episode of the Greenwood and Mulner Show. We have a very, very special guest. Of course, he's one of the most recognisable English cricketers of all time. It is Steve Harmison. And of course, he's a Newcastle fan as well. So it's the perfect combination. Steve, how are you today? I'm very well. Very well. Very well after yesterday. It was a of good course, I was a bit oh, apprehensive yeah. of how it was going to go yesterday. I was uh, I was a little bit concerned of you know my getting dragged back in to the to a relegation because I still think 39 40 points is going to be somewhere where you need to be but I thought that I thought the players were magnificent although everybody was magnificent yesterday and um, Newcastle can now potentially look at European places rather than relegation which is fantastic steady steady <laughs> No, we'll, we'll go straight on to the football then, Steve. With, um, we'll talk about the game yesterday. Um, were you quite nervous going into the game against Sheffield United? Because Sheffield United have done really, really well this uh, this season under Chris Wilder. Or did you feel quite cautiously optimistic? Because they didn't really play brilliant against Aston Villa on Wednesday. No, I, I was quite, to be honest, watching them against Aston Villa probably confirmed what I thought potentially could happen with Sheffield United, Sheffield United, a little bit, and like Newcastle, they've got, they've had this over the last three or four years. You know, Newcastle under Rafa and then under Steve, that it's like everybody's against us, sort of thing. We're going to use the crowd to motivate us. We are a team that are galvanised together, and we're going to we're going to hit the opposition um, and not worry about anything else other than us. And if the crowd, we're going to use the crowd to our advantage. And I think Newcastle have done that at St James's really well over the last. You know, last year of Rafa and obviously this year of, of, of Steve Bruce. And I thought that's what's kept Sheffield United going from last year when being successful in the championship and elevating them to a position where of European. But I thought once you take that crowd away and it just becomes skill factor and players alone, their, their ability, then I'm not sure that Sheffield United are as... Maybe it's a little bit of a false place where they are from a just a technical ability, um, and teams could exploit that. Actually, Newcastle potentially could, or and that's why I feared for Newcastle a little bit. So that's why I thought it was a perfect game for Newcastle. That Newcastle's front three, you know, the dynamic of Almiron and Maximum, the Maximum, and you know, the work rate of, of Joe Linton and his ability to hold the ball up. I actually think Newcastle have got a fantastic front three to play in this situation where um, catching teams on the break. And I thought they did that brilliantly yesterday. And I think that's why I thought Newcastle... It was a good game for Newcastle against Sheffield United. Um, same again. Um, oh, when we come against... I think we come against Aston Villa next. Um, West Ham. There's some good games for Newcastle coming up. And that's why I think Newcastle should be looking oh. at potentially being in the, at the top end rather than the bottom end. 
Yeah, what did you make of Joe Linton's performance in general, Steve? Uh, sorry, Sam, just because he got the goal which he desperately, desperately needed in the Premier League and at St. James's Park. It was just ironic that he got it without any fans. Yeah, and, it, and it's hard. I think the, the one thing I will say, I think I've been to every Newcastle home game this year and I've not really heard too many fans turn on Joe Linton the way potentially they could have. I think what we've got to remember is it wasn't, it's not Joe Linton's fault that he's the Newcastle paid £40 million for him. And I think that seems to be the, 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 everything that's thrown at the big fella up front. He works tirelessly hard. And I think if you ask your supporter, they'll say, yes, yeah, he's not worth 40 million quid. You ask one of the players he plays with and the amount of work he has to do by himself as a long furrow centre forward, I think them, them players will say, yeah, this big guy, he does a lot of unnecessary work for us. Um, and he and he helps us get up the pitch, and that's where we can use St. Maximum and Almiron. So you look at somewhere like Benteke for Crystal Palace at the minute, and the way Crystal Palace play, he's not too dissimilar to the way the way they're playing. You know, Benteke is a big, strong boy who should score a lot more goals because of his technical ability, but he isn't scoring at this minute. But it's not stopping Roy Hodgson picking him for one. And offering him a new contract for two, and you look at them against. Um, I come in with the player the other night. They won two 0 against Bournemouth, I think it was, and they were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I tell you what, he was Ben Tickey was a handful at St James's. He was a good, he played really well at St James's. Um, so it, it's not all about the number nine scoring a goal. Ideally, you want him to score, obviously, but I think the work that Joe Lenton does and the, the 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 people that he occupies and the space that he creates for. Almiron and St. Maximum, then I think he's, you know, like I said before, it's not his fault he's worth 40 million quid. I don't think we have anybody like that. I don't think Andy Carroll consistently can do that because of his body. Dwight Gale hasn't got the physical presence to do that. So for me, I think Joe Linton's done, you know, really well apart from what he's paid for, which is score goals. But I think he's created a hell of a lot of chances and space for other people for Newcastle United this year. Yeah, Sam, what were you going to say? Because you wanted to get a question in as well about the game, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, from yesterday's game, Sheffield United didn't look to me like a team that were pushing on for Europe. And all of a sudden now, we're breathing down their necks, as you say. But what do you make of the job Steve Bruce has done? Obviously, we've had legendary managers over the years, like Sir Bobby and Kevin Keegan and, and to a lesser extent, Rafa. Steve Bruce obviously isn't quite at that level. But what do you make of the job he's done so far this season? I think he's done a great. I think he's done a great job. To be fair, I think the reason why Newcastle are in a position to to get rid of Mike Ashley eventually is a lot down to Steve Bruce. I think if you're a Newcastle fan, as Newcastle went on that Far East trip, left Newcastle Airport to go on the trip to Far East in pre-season, if you just say Newcastle were going to be in a position to get sold for over three hundred million less than any twelve months' time, I think you you'd have been you'd have been laughing. Because for the simple fact is, we had Neil Redfern and Ben Dawson, two good guys taking them over there and in charge, not you know, not having a first-team manager, staring down a barrel of waiting for the season to start. Um, you are just looking, you're thinking, well, this could be the final, this finally could be our nail in our coffin to potentially get relegated. And if Newcastle got relegated this year, you, you just look at across the road, you know, over across the water there, and you look at where Sunderland are at this minute in time. I'm not sure Newcastle can come back from another relegation three times under Mike Ashley. So that is largely down to the way Steve Bruce has managed Newcastle United. I think 
when you look at the way Steve has conducted himself, I think he's done brilliantly to get Newcastle where they are on the pitch. But I think I think the best part of Steve Bruce as manager managerial position so far is the way he's conducted himself on a both on the touchline and in the media and around the club. He's not tried to get into that Rafa Benitez wall between the fans and the and the owner and try to bridge them apart, push them apart. He's left the club to be the club. He's you know he's he's respected the supporters' um, animosity toward the owner. He hasn't got involved, and he's basically said, right, I, all I'm going to do is concentrate on trying to keep this tight group of players who have worked so hard in the last four or five years to keep Newcastle in a position of strength and keep them, you know, even when they had to bounce back at the championship and the squad togetherness, I need to keep that. Because if I keep that, then Newcastle have got a chance of not only surviving, but moving forward. And I think because of that, I think you've got to be, you've got to be thankful for the job he's done because somebody else comes in there. These core of players that he mentioned in his after his after match chat yesterday he said these players that got us out of the championship the ones that have galvanized the club and stuck us together if there was a little bit of a rift in that and the water gets in and the air holes go then I'm not so sure if a man if a, a different manager comes in and tries to break that up I'm not sure that galvanized group keeps Newcastle in the Premier League and I think because of that We've got to be thankful for the simple fact is if Newcastle are going to get relegated or in the bottom three, close to the bottom three, there's no way people from Saudi Arabia or America are going to come and take us off Mike Ashley. And that is the most important thing for Newcastle moving forward. Where he stands and where you see him going forward, look, you, you just you just don't know what other people have thought of it. But I think Newcastle fans, as much as they might not have wanted him at the start, I think they should be thankful for the position he's got us in at this moment in time because we are in a position of strength to sell the club and eventually get rid of the person who has potentially held Newcastle back for the last probably nine out of the 13 years of his tenureship. Yeah, it's a fantastic point. You talked on brilliantly about how well Steve Bruce has done. But you talked about the Saudis as well, Steve. And in the last 24 hours, there has been a couple more reports. Craig Coe just spoken to Talk Sport very recently. They say this is days rather than weeks now in regard to any potential takeover of Newcastle. You talked on uh, talked about recently about my actually in the returns of the season ticket renewals and the fact that the club hadn't announced anything until very, very recently. Now, do you feel that now Newcastle, because as you mentioned, Steve Bruce has done a, such a good job into making sure New, Newcastle are going to be playing Premier League football next season, is now the perfect time for a potential new group, i.e. the Saudis, to come in and take over this football club? Well, it is the perfect time, but until one of the one of the shakes gets off a plane at Newcastle United with a black and white shirt on, I'll not believe it, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, whistling the theme tune to Alvida's Empire and drinking brown ale, that is when I'll I'll realise that it's going to come. But look, it, what Craig Hope has said this week, or that, and that's, sorry, in those last 24 hours, I think... One thing, one thing about Mike Ashley, he's a very, very good businessman. He's a very, very calculated guy in the media and he knows what buttons to press to get things right. And I think legally he didn't have a leg to stand on with the season tickets. And I think he knew that. But I think the buttons he pressed, which was I'm not going to give the money back, still keeping taking money for next year. I think that was a push to the Premier League to say, look, let's get this. Uh, deal rubber stamped. Are you going to let Saudi Arabia buy Newcastle United? If so, you know, 
let get it done. If not, well, then I'm going to run the club my way, which is legally not right. But at the end of the day, it was going to he was going to you know want to be challenged. Um, personally, I think it's a conspiracy theory. Me, I think there's no way in the world the government, the Premier League, wanted Newcastle to be taken over while we were close to lockdown, because I think there'll be more people outside St James's Park for Mike Ashley leaving than there was for Alan Shearer coming in 1996. And there was 35,000 <laughs> then. So I think there might be a little bit of something in that. It's it's amazing that they might rubber stamp it as of sometime this week when we go from two, the government goes from two metres to one metre in the next 24 hours. So hopefully that is going to happen. But finally, I think it is the right time that Mike does go. Um what what has he done for Newcastle United? Well, it's been a roller coaster. We've had some good times in the championship, and we've had some <laughs> not so good times in in other times. The one thing we can be thankful of, I think, watching you know watching other programs and seeing other clubs go, that probably the only thing we can be thankful of, Mike Ashley, is that when he does leave Newcastle United, Newcastle United haven't got a great big whacking debt hole that we can't fill and we have to stagnate, we can move forward. And I think we've got a, a, a magnificent stadium in, a, in, in the middle of a city and we are in the Premiership and we are relatively debt-free. So it's time for it's time for him to go. And, and I think it's it's a good time. Is it, has he, what, everybody can make their own mind up on what they think of Mike Ashley. Everybody can make their mind up. You support your club and people come and go. Bobby Robson came and go, Kevin Keegan came and go, Alan Shearer came and go. It, the supporters will never, ever go because my kids will support Newcastle United, your kids will support Newcastle United and grandkids will support Newcastle United. And that's the most important thing. He's got 13 years of a history which has been a little bit checkered, sorry, a lot checkered, but at the end of the day, fingers crossed, it's it's time for a move on. And, and thankfully, we might have a an owner or an ownership of of strength that can get Newcastle back to where you know we all want them to be because no matter what club you support you always want you always want your club to be buying the best players winning the most games fighting for the most titles and um fingers crossed Newcastle it might be Newcastle's turn uh sooner rather than later I completely agree. I hope so as well with the the future of Newcastle uh, with a potential taker if it all goes through as you've said. Um Sam I just want to bring you in on regards to Sir Boy Robson which I think you've got a question about the relationship that Steve has with the club maybe in the past few years, and in particular, Saboy Robson. Um, what was it that you were, you were, you were telling me about there yeah. previously? So obviously, the time where you had that magnificent spell in the West Indies where the, the famous mm. seven for, for 12, and then you see there you've, you've got the signed shirt and whatnot. Um, how much of an influence did Bobby have on you personally? Did you look up to him and... Did because I understand didn't he invite you to the club's gym or something when you're having problems with your back? Is that right? Yeah, you actually you missed the best part of that shirt off. I, I it's on my wall right right yeah I'll, I'll show you in a bit. It's, it's up there right at the bottom corner of that shirt. It's got uh, so Bobby signed it and it's got unique army. Bobby Robson. Well, he wasn't he wasn't Sir by then, so I'm not sure how he signed his name. But it it's brilliant the way he signs his name. You, know, you see all these fancy signatures now, and they've got lines through them, swiggles on them, and all sorts. So Bobby Robson's signature signature is his name in like bold capitals. Bobby Robson. It's fantastic. Um, as a person, he was, he loved his cricket. Mad keen on cricket. 
loved traveling. As you see, he traveled the world as a manager. He wanted to be, uh, he wanted to go to Australia to watch the Ashes, which was a disappointing thing because when he got cancer for the final time and it, 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 it became that obvious that he wasn't going to beat it. He was, he was scheduled to come to Australia for the 2006-07 Ashes series. Um, but it all came about. I, sorry, I left a, a, a tour in Bangladesh. I just get a man of the match in Dhaka. And I had his back problem um, for a long, long time. And the fitness coach at Newcastle was a guy called Paul Winsper, who had gone from Durham to, to Newcastle when Kenny Daglish or Ruud Holt was in charge. I can't remember where. It was Newcastle training at the back of Chester Street. The, the, the training ground was at, um, was at where the cricket ground is. Um, and Paul Paul read the paper. And I'd, I'd had a bad time and a different time with the media. And um, a former England fast bowler wrote an article. It, was, it wasn't a very complimentary article about me. And Sir Bobby must have commented to Paul. And Paul had said, look, I know him really well. Um, I'll ask him if he wants to come and train here. And that's how it started. Uh, so I went in two or three days later. Um, he asked me, Sir Bobby asked me if he, he said about the article. I said it was disgusting. I said it was terrible. I said, that's not the way I feel. He said, that's fine. That's what I wanted to hear. He took me into the gym, dragged me into the gym. Um, and at the time, um, the likes of Alan Shearer, Gary Speed, Steve Harper, Shea Given, um, were in the gym and he pointed at them and said, look at these guys. Yeah, look at these. This is why you watch these. You can come and train in here and you watch these train to be professional sportsmen. These have all played international football. These are, this is why you watch them over the next, however long you're here, six, eight weeks. Um, and he said, if you do that, he said, not a problem. He says, you'll, you'll elevate yourself to, to wherever you want to be. And that's what he said to me. He was so good at looking at you in the eye and making you believe in what he, what he was, what he was trying to sell. Um, he did, however, look over in the other corner and point to Kieran Dyer, Craig Bellamy, Jermaine Janis. Um, Titus Brandon, and he said, if you follow what they do over the next five weeks, he says, you'll not be here for five weeks because I can't get rid of them. He says, but I'll get rid of you. And it was just a great way of breaking the ice. And, and anyway, from there, I, I did eight weeks with them, trained. I was in every morning for breakfast, trained twice a day, um, had lunch, and then um, then obviously went, obviously went home. And for eight weeks, I was as fit as I've ever been. I went to the West Indies, and within 18 months, I was not only was I ranked number one bowler in the world, um, I had a belief that I was I could play a professional sport at the highest level, belong at the highest level. Um, and England went on to win the Ashes, and they were the best team in the world for a long, long time. For a long, long time after that, um, and I trained at Newcastle like that. I think I've seen five, four or five managers off. You know, so Bobby, uh, Glenn Roder was there, Graham Souness. Graham Souness was brilliant. Well, a lovely man Graham Souness was to me. He just, I, I thought I was done because when, obviously, when Graham come in, uh, I remember being in the corridor and, and he, he pulled me to one side and I was expecting him to say, look, I don't know you. I don't, I don't want anybody around that I don't trust and I, you're not part of, and I thought he would have said that. But he went, no, he went, the senior players have, have vouched for you, spoke for you. You've been here quite a while. He said, just carry on training the way you're training. And I was like, wow, thank you very much. So Newcastle United were brilliant to me. Um, and I'd like to thank, I'd, 
I represented them as an ambassador very, very well around the around the world whenever I, I spoke about Newcastle. Probably until uh, probably until Mike Ashley came about when I couldn't hold my tongue anymore. <laughs> um, and I tried. I must admit, I tried very, very hard. I get I'm guilt by association. I think one of the early pictures of Mike being at uh, at Newcastle with Dennis Wise and Tony Jimenez. I was sitting in the seats. One of my best mates, um, godfather to one of my, my kids, he was in charge of the Adidas contract in Newcastle and they had a row of seats in the director's box, more or less right behind where Mike sits. And the camera caught Mike and it looks as though I'm sitting right behind him over his shoulder. And, and whenever I say anything that Newcastle supporters don't like, this photo gets chucked back out there. <laughs> and it looks as though, yeah, you're sitting with him. Yeah. I've met Mike Ashley once in my, in my entire life. Um, and to be fair to him, he's, he he was a very very charming man. Um, but he's got a different he's got a different outlook of the way he runs business compared to where he runs the way you want your football team to run. So, um, but no, that club means everything to me. They they give me a hell of a lot of help, um, and I'd like to think I, I repaired them back by you know representing Newcastle around the world. But so Bobby was somebody I was always going to do anything for when it come to the the foundation um I, my benefit went to some of the foundation and uh i go on and, and play in the golf days every year over in portugal to uh, to try and raise some money for to, to what is a, a fantastic cause for um undoubtedly one of the greatest men that's ever been involved in english football uh, incredible words and you can you could say steve really that that meeting with, with Sabari Robson probably made your career a little bit better, if you have to be brutally honest, because if if he wasn't so outreaching towards you, do you think you would have had the moments like you did in 2005? Like, I think of the, the moments I got into cricket was the 2005 matches at Edgebaston, where obviously that ball to Michael Kasperovich, and obviously the rest is history in, in that sense. But do you think he did help you and develop you without you, without you realising it at the time? Oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. You give me the mindset. I think the talent was there. Talent's always there in, in any individual that plays sport at the highest level. The talent, the talent's there. You just got it's getting it out of you. And he had this great way of getting it out. I've seen, and I and I tried. I must admit, when I was in in the training ground, I tried to keep head down out the way. I never went outside to train in public with them. I always wore my own kit. Didn't want to wear the Newcastle kit. Because I, it wasn't wasn't for anything to, but other than respect of what it meant. You know, I always believe you, you if you wear the kit, it means you're representing the. You know, you've been good enough to go and represent the club. I wasn't representing the club in a playing aspect, but the way he spoke to people, the way he went around and did his job, and his ability to to, to get the best out of young people. I've just done a. I've just done a, um, a program for Talk Sports on the mental health aspect of retirement. And I did it with Kieran Dyer. And Kieran Dyer talks about Sir Bobby in such a brilliant way. And you listen to the likes of Craig Bellamy talk about it. And they caused him chaos, to be fair. Let's be fair. You know, young lads who had a lot of money in their pocket, international footballers who, you know, at the time, was just starting to go into the sort of social media world. And the likes of Bellamy and Dyer and Old Bramble and a lot of these players didn't cause Sir Bobby headache as in a nasty sense, but 
they were starting to sort of feel their own feet as you know little rebels. And so Bobby looked after them brilliantly. And 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 Kieran, the way Kieran speaks about Sir Bobby is is phenomenal. And a lot of people would say the way the way Sir Bobby looked at some of the younger players, he treated them differently to some of the senior players because they were like his babies, they were like his kids. Uh, rather than people that were that were under him from a, and that's and I still think to this day that Newcastle have not recovered since Bobby Robson left that football club. I don't think if you when you really look back through the way Newcastle have have gone, the minutes of Bobby Robson left Newcastle Football Club, they've not other than a season with Alan Pardew. I don't think they've sort of gone up on a crest rather than it's been a slowly going down into the championship back up and down back up and i think you could see by the way his reaction was to bobby that he was hurt by and not being newcastle manager anymore um but from my point of view the way he trapped me was just was just unbelievable yeah he didn't have to um but it was a he, he loved playing he loved playing he loved sort of watching the game of cricket and you know, you came and watched quite a bit. You mentioned the 2000 and a great story about the 2005 Ashes Edgebaston game was, I think it was, it wasn't long before the the first test match. I'd gone back in to do a little bit of work with Paul uh, in the gym, Paul Winsper in the gym. And we're talking about what was coming. The Ashes was coming. There's no World Cup football. There's no European Championships. Literally, the only thing that's going to be on in the summer is going to be cricket. Um and going through going through the, the the series because it was more or less pre-season time um and i went back in about four weeks later five weeks later between the second and third test or maybe after the third test and but before the first test asking you know paul would ask are oh, you lads are you going to watch the cricket and there was a few of them it was like lee bowie i remember lee bowie i'll never forget lee bowie nah he said it's a great time to walk, walk the dogs when the cricket's on it's so boring this that, and, the other. <laughs> yeah. and then the first thing there was him and scott parker the first thing i got when i went back to the to the door the gym i think it was after the third test was lee bowie asking about you know what what's all this stuff with shane warne and and he got some, and I mean, he got hammered. Was like, we well, not walking your dogs and stuff, but it was, it was great banter. It was good laughing. I think Scott Parker couldn't understand why it was like Shane Warne. He bowls that slow. Surely you can like run down and hit it with it. It's not bouncing. And it's like, well, it's not quite as simple as that. He's got seven hundred test wickets because he's that good. It's like saying, it's like saying to you know, Alan Shearer, you know, go and play centre half. It's, it, it just, it wouldn't be right. So. But uh, great times, but good people as well. There were some great people involved at Newcastle United. Not just not just sort of the playing staff, but the off-field staff as well. And I think that is something, even, even now, there's a lot of animosity about the way the clubs run. But there's some great people run New, uh, be around running Newcastle United that have got no say whatsoever in the way the clubs run. They just love working for that, for that football club. Yeah, I think it's just like any job though. If you can, if you've got people around you to enjoy the whole experience of going to work, whether it's that nine to five or obviously a football, cricket, it can be so much different. But if you've got that, it is brilliant. Sam, I just I know there's a question that you wanted to ask um, about the obviously the camaraderie. It, it comes in perfectly what Steve says, and I think obviously Steve, everybody knows that you're very very good friends with uh, with Andrew Flintoff or Freddie Flintoff, is obviously what a lot of people call him. Um, there is, I think, Sam. There's a story that you've you've been wanting to ask Steve about, and then we'll we'll, we'll finish off uh, at the end with an, uh, the final question. 
Yeah, so we've got, basically we've got a couple of uh, questions and, well, one comment from one of our viewers. This is from Matt George. He says, your dismissal of Michael Clark, obviously just before Stumps in 05, is one of the greatest mm. snowballs of all time. And Matt also says he loves watching you wield the long handle. So I would kind of imagine it's that one that you get complimented on, on your back. <laughs> uh, the, the question from Ben Donald is, is it true yourself and Freddie Flintoff were drinking out of each other's shoes then throwing things at David Blaine when he was doing a stunt? In <laughs> no, we got I got we got a phone call about that. That was weird, that. It was weird. We were we played a one-day game. I, I'm nearly sure it was just it was on the it was about the time of was it Corey born? I think it was Andrew's second child was born. I don't think it was I don't think it was Holly, I think it was after Holly. But we got, we got, we, we were out celebrating. We had a few drinks, and then the next morning, Neil Fairbrother, who looked after us, great Lancashire, um, England batsman, um, he got a phone call and he was like, What were you two doing last night? And it was like, Pretty normal, to be honest. We got two days off, we've had a few. <laughs> and he went, Were you on the tower? Were you on London Bridge, Tower Bridge? He was like, No. And he went, what for? He said, well, I had a phone call of Daily Mirror to say you, were you, you and your mate were seen throwing eggs at David Blaine. And I was like, <laughs> David Blaine? Who's David Blaine? And he was like, no, that's him in that glass box. I was like, no, we weren't. We've done some stupid things. We've <laughs> done some really stupid things. But no, Neil, you know when I'm telling you the truth. I will tell you the truth. We have not been throwing eggs at David Blaine. Um, and and it, it got to the paper. The paper actually printed that we were we, we were out. They got away with it because they said we were out drunk. Which, to be fair, by law of averages, that that that's the honest truth. We'd had a we'd had a few. But <laughs> we weren't throwing eggs at, at David Blaine. No, it was uh, it, that was definitely one of the the myths that went round with myself and Andrew. But no, the snowball, Michael Clark. I had the worst snowball in the history of the game. But it worked that day, and it was such a relief, as you can see by the the, the reaction of fears um, and the batting. Just, you know, the, from a long handle point of view, it was definitely long handle because I always worked the theory that I was there for a good time and not a long one, because um, that <laughs> ball was hard, and the amount of bounces I dished out in my career, fast bowlers always wanted to get their own back. So I decided I, did, I decided I was going to try and hit it rather than let that thing hit me because it hurt. <laughs> I, I think it's just those little spells and things that people remember. I think that's why you, you are very, very popular, Steve, not just in Newcastle, but obviously around England because, you know, you played for Durham for such a long time and you had a great spell at Yorkshire, but university like it has to be said. And literally the last thing that we just want to quickly discuss is Ashton. Obviously you had a two year, just just under two years at Ashington. Mm. I actually remember watching Whitley Bay versus Ashton, which is not too far away from where I'm actually from, and you yeah. won the game that night. But you could just, you were so like animated and you wanted to win. Does that winning mentality not leave you? It doesn't leave us. Um, I'm assuming on a golf course. Um, it was, Ashton fell at the right time and it finished, it finished early, but it, it finished at the right time for me because. I seen what was happening at, at that football club. I love the club and I love the people at the club even more so now. That that in the um, Brian Shotton, who is the chairman of Ashton Football Club now, he left probably about eight months before I left. The first time, the first, he left the first time because he seen what was coming at the club, and then I I probably hung on for that little bit longer to try and think right, I can change. Um, and it was nothing other than. 
the, the chairman, the chairman of the club, and he's still a, a good friend of mine. And I, I wish I don't wish any ill of of Ian, but Ian, Ian, when I first became manager of Ashton, Ian was an MP for he was a Labour MP for for Wandsbeck. He still is, but he then became the chairman of the, the Labour Party, and all of a sudden, because of because of his job, there was one eye going off the club, and I just felt at the time the. It, it was it was a difficult one because you were having you were having to try and make decisions and you didn't have the chairman's full attention, and it's an amateur club and I understand people have got a, a job of work, um, and and it ended in a in a sour way from me from that point of view because I didn't really want to walk away from a club that I love doing the job that I love doing, but I could see what was happening. There was money going left, right, and centre. There was outside influences coming in from a, a branch of the, the council that I didn't think needed to be involved with a football club um, and there was there was a there was two or three people in between myself and the chairman who who were basically there and they shouldn't have been and and that was because of the outside influences of, and it, this is an amateur football club and that for me was the reason why I went to Ashen Football Club was because of the Non-league football is the love of the game. You love it, and that's that's the only reason I, I got involved because I had lads that were were playing for me in, in night games, finishing at half nine, ten o'clock at night, then going working a night shift. And if they're going to do that, then I'll do everything I possibly can to help them. But when I felt as though the in-between bits was getting the the there was you know, the mud was getting yeah muddier and and it was getting more difficult to to sort of do your job and do things that were going. Then I I, I got out because I seen. I didn't want my name tarnished with that and I felt so sorry for the players that were involved because we had built up a decent group of players um and a lot of them have a lot of them have dispersed so in the club literally I think nearly 12 months ago nearly the, the doors were nearly closed on it and I seen that coming because there was people involved who shouldn't have been and that is that is something that you know broke my heart but at the end of the day they're on track the guys who were with me at the time are now back there from a managerial point of view, I can't go back because it, my life's moved on. But I always go and support them and watch them. And the chairman of the football club and the people that are running the club now are running it for the right reasons, the best, the yeah, the best of the club. Um, and Ian, Ian has done brilliantly for the Labour Party, and I'm I'm really really pleased because of the job he's he's got to do. So, and you've seen what happened last week where the way the Trent David. I don't know if you've seen on Twitter, David, the uh, uh, the Down syndrome guy, guy with the, oh, the guy yes, with Down syndrome. Um, it went viral. It went round the world, and he's brilliant for the club. You know, selling domino cards before the game, during halftime, and after the game, and they give him a lifetime season ticket and a shirt with his name on. Just tells me everything about what that football club is and its meanings and what it's trying to be. So, And I'll finish with a good story on David. I remember we came off, you mentioned a game, we played Whitley Bay. I can't remember who we played. It was absolutely teeming down. And it was, yeah, it was quite warm. <laughs> a pair of shorts would narrow it down in, in England. but And a pair of shorts, T-shirt, and I'd come in. It was about, it had been about eight minutes to three. And I'm coming in to get everybody revved up to get going. I've come through the door of the tunnel, and I'm soaking wet. I've got nothing on me pockets wise. And he asked me if I wanted a, a number on the domino card. And I said, David, I've got no money. I said, put me a number on and I'll come and pay you in a bit. And he went, um, no, 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 no money, no number. So he wouldn't let me, he wouldn't even let me put a number on the domino card. <laughs> That's how much it matters 
for the money to get off people. So for him to get his 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 ticket and his and his shirt, it's brilliant from the club. He deserves it, and they're the people. They're the people that 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 means so much to to not just Ashington, Whitley Bear, North Shields, every clubs you see, and there's some good clubs being run around the, the non-league side. And um, and if I I play golf on a Lynx golf course because I think that's the only way the game should be played. I love football and I think non-league football is the only way the game should be played because the actual people that are playing it and the people that are running it, doing it for the right reasons. And that is why I, I got into it. Would I do it again? Probably. If life, me, me, me life sort of curtailed that way. Um, but I, I want Ashton to succeed every single time because I love black and white, as you see, Newcastle and also Ashton Football Club. I think that is the perfect way to end things. All the stories that you've mentioned, Steve, about Ashington, uh, we all hope that they do very well from Newcastle fans TV point of view. Steve, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you for the last yeah. half an hour or so, 35 minutes. And Sam, I just, I'm just i guessing you want to say the same. Yeah, absolutely superb. I could listen to you talk all day, but uh, <laughs> I'm guessing you're due on the first three every minute now. I am. I'm due on. I'm, I'm about to go and play play golf for my son. It's a bit windy for Newbegin, um, but hey, that's life. We'll we'll take it. We're norm it's normally windy. So thanks very much and keep um, up the good work, lads. Brilliant. Steve, it's an absolute Cheers, pleasure. Steve. Thank you very much. Best of luck on the golf course. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, Bob. See Cheers, you later. Thanks very much. Thanks. See you later. Bye. And that is. The so there you have it, folks. That was the full version of Steve Harmison on the Greenwood and Mulliner show. I'm gutted that David Blaine story isn't true, <laughs> but there you go. As always, this podcast is sponsored by Beer 52. For your free trial case of beer, head to www.beer52.com forward slash NFTV and start your subscription today. It really is fantastic stuff. Next week, we are going back to darts and we will be talking to PDC dart superstar Chris Doby. So we hope you will join us for that. 